Week 3, Session 2 Strongholds of Belief We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5 What's the problem? This week we are using Jesus' parable of the sower as a guide to understand how the condition of our hearts and lives forms the soil in which the kingdom of God becomes real in us. Jesus said that God gives the Spirit without measure. It is not God that withholds, it is our ability and consistency in partnering with the Spirit that limits His work. We began by looking at the rocky ground. Jesus said that some of God's word fell on rock, and when it came up, the plants withered. He explained that those on the rock are people who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root within themselves. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. Luke 8.13 Falling away is the opposite of turning to God. It means we turn our face from God, looking for our own solutions. It means that we just can't be bothered with the struggle of faith. It's too hard, and we just wander in our hearts. We do this because our roots are weak or shallow, or absent altogether. That which is unseen determines what is eventually seen by all. The writer to the Hebrews reminds us of those who were taken out of Egypt. They could not grasp their new identity and kept wanting to return to slavery. God said in Hebrews 3.10, Their hearts are always going astray, and they have not known my ways. Their outer life began to reflect their inner life. Their hearts went astray, so too did their lives, wandering endlessly in a physical desert because their hearts were already there. The passage continues saying in Hebrews 3.12, They shall never enter my rest. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. The writer combines the effects of sin and unbelief as the symptoms of a heart turned away from God. We looked last time at the effect of sin, but now we proceed to the second root problem, ungodly beliefs. These beliefs run deeper than just knowledge of a topic. They are deeply formed grids of understanding that underpin our rationale, lying deep below, often unnamed and hidden. They are what the Hebrew writer described as the unbelief that turns away from God. We might say they live in our hearts and our minds, And as we will see, they do indeed have spiritual implications and empowerment. I was surprised one day when I was ministering to a person who I knew to be one of the most gracious and caring members of their church. As I prayed, the Lord showed me that there was another side to what I assumed was a pure and sacrificial lifestyle. Their Christian father had left the family whilst they were young, leaving their mother to fend for and raise the family. This child, who believed in God, didn't question his existence, but grew to doubt his ability and willingness to provide love for the family. So, an ungodly belief took hold. God won't love people. From that belief came an inner vow. I will have to love them. I will love them the way God should because I don't trust him to do it. It was a love wrapped in the fear that God doesn't care or provide. It was an imperfect love because, as 1 John 4.18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. You see, even the most noble of actions can be driven by an inner deficit motivation, that is, giving out of need. There are many such belief systems that take hold, but most of them are rooted in our core needs of safety, 
love, acceptance, and identity. A hurt young girl might fear that her life is out of control, so she determines to control the one thing she can, her body. So she starves beyond all reason, yet can never find peace. A young man is rejected by a fleeing father and as a result takes on the belief that deep down he is both unacceptable and unable to withstand rejection again. So he vows to work harder than anyone else, earning righteousness, then determines that no one else will ever be allowed to get close enough to hurt him again. The conscious rationale of these people consistently reverts to serving the perceived needs of deep, ungodly beliefs. But because it remains deep and unnamed, it escapes attention, often for life. A Fortified City The Bible calls these ungodly belief systems strongholds, and the description is fitting. In biblical times, a stronghold was a place where a small force could successfully fend off the imposition of a far greater army. In AD 72, at a place called Masada, a small group of Jewish exiles succeeded in fending off the full strength of the Roman legions for over two years from their high and protected stronghold. By definition, a stronghold is a fortified place that can remain intact against forces that are proportionately much stronger. This is why a stronghold is a belief that goes beyond knowledge. A Christian can be barraged with the truth for years that they are loved, treasured, valuable and forgiven. And yet, even though they nod their head in agreement, every action and motivation still comes from a place of deficit and need. As the Hebrew writer warns, See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Just as physical strongholds often occupy the high ground, so too a spiritual stronghold sits high above every subsequent belief. If they feel unworthy, they will gravitate to scriptures that imply God rejects them based on sin and accepts them based on obedience. Whole theologies and religions have been formed on the cascading belief systems rooted in a stronghold. Ungodly beliefs are incredible in strength and indefatigable in their bias. They literally never relent. They continually veer us off course, fueling insecurity and countering faith, in that they are in direct opposition to the kingdom of God, just as sin is. In fact, much of our drive to sin can be found in strongholds. We base our strategy on dealing with strongholds in the outworking of 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and 5. It says this, The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So, let's take a few points from that. Firstly, Paul says we can't fight strongholds with weapons of this world. How does the world fight? Through strength, intimidation, fear, and force. The kingdom of God is made of, and fights with, peace, shalom, a restoration of truth in God's created order and authority. We overcome curses with blessing, hatred with love, darkness with light. Paul goes on to define a stronghold as an argument or pretension. They are an opinion, a pretense, a foundation of belief. Some translations say they are an imagination or a high thing, sitting above and guiding understanding. And Paul says they are beliefs that set themselves against the knowledge or truth about God. They are based in lies, and this is significant. 
To deal with the stronghold, you must replace lies with truth. And so to track down a stronghold, look for the place where it began and the lie that was believed. Finally, Paul says we must take every thought captive to Christ, bringing it into line with the truth of who Christ is and what he would do. This is deeply significant. It is not just talking about disciplining our mind to think nice thoughts. It's deeper. Remember, strongholds are a pretense, a wrong belief about God. One of the most powerful pretenses that Christians wrongly retain is that God's love is conditional on us being good. It is a performance mindset that assumes God is, in varying degrees, angry at us, waiting to punish us, that the presence of his love is in inverse proportion to his anger. This is false. But how do we know that? Because that is not a belief that is congruent with Christ. Paul says to take our thoughts captive to Christ. Was Christ angry? Did Christ condemn us? Did Christ lay down the law and tell us to try harder? No. He loved the outcast, healed the brokenhearted, and set the captives free. If our pretense, or stronghold, is a performance motivation, we can develop a theology that agrees with what we believe deep down to be true. It is easy to develop a theology, just grab verses from all over the Bible that are interpreted wrongly and out of context, then put them in a line that agrees with what our hearts resonates with. The problem is, it's not true, and God doesn't empower it. Instead of bringing life, it brings death. Strongholds are easy to find, just follow the smell of death in someone's life. Hebrews 1.3 says that God previously spoke in various ways and at various times by the prophets, but now he has spoken to us by his Son, who is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. The significance is that whatever you believe about God must be seen in who Christ is, because he is the true representation of God's nature and will. If you can't see it in Christ, you should question it. Taking a verse about judgment from the Old Testament needs to be carefully examined when we realize that Christ fulfilled the requirements of that law in himself, that the hammer of judgment for sin has already fallen on him. God's wrath has been satisfied. He isn't angry with you. He's inviting you to abundant life. How do I know? Because Jesus said it and proved it by dying in your place. We must take every thought and make it captive to Christ. Starving the Inhabitants When Rome came against the stronghold at Masada and realized they could not take it by force alone, they chose another tactic, starvation. Rather than fight the enemy, they simply cut off their supply. Once the Israelites were weak, the Romans could overrun their defenses easily because the defense was no longer empowered. Strongholds are not without spiritual empowerment, only it is not God that fuels them, it is the enemy, Satan. He will put his support behind anything that is set up against the true and accurate knowledge of God. Kingdoms can be simple in their process. Their power comes into play through agreement. If we agree with the true knowledge of God and choose to act in accordance with it, then God's grace through his spirit will empower that decision. Inversely, if you agree with what Satan says about God, he will help you escalate and perpetuate that belief. He will feed the lies and confirm them through highlighting selected circumstance and scripture. If the lies could be represented as rubbish in our lives, then Satan's army are the rats that live off it, getting fat and strong. 
If you could manage to kill the rats, there will always be more to replace them because the rubbish remains. It is easier to starve the rats by getting rid of the rubbish. That's why Paul says we don't fight with force and fear as the world does. We pull down pretense, we correct wrong beliefs, we starve the rats by removing the rubbish. We do this by replacing lies with truth. We ask God to show us where the lie was adopted and ask him to take it away through either personal repentance, confession, or forgiveness. We surrender the power of the lie and ask God to replace it with the truth, which we then determine to declare until it is adopted as deeply as the lie it's replacing. Jesus said in John 6, verse 63, My words are spirit, and they are life. Taking our thoughts captive to Christ includes believing what he said and applying it to our situation. When we do, we find life. Breaking down the walls. And so, taking of a stronghold is an event as well as a process. We starve the wrong belief by identifying it, then refusing to feed it. Naming lies is a very powerful tool. When James said we should resist the devil and he will flee, he was referring to a view of Satan that Jesus had, that he is the father of lies. The armor of God that Paul describes can also be helpful at this point. Note how much of it is based on dealing with lies and adopting the truth. There is a belt of truth, there is the sword of the Spirit that is God's word, and a breastplate of righteousness. The shield of faith, though, is best used when we know the name of the arrow being shot at us. The best shield against a lie is to choose to have faith in the truth. By exchanging lies for truth, we are showing the purest form of repentance, which is a changing of the way we think. We are in a battle for the mind. Once the basis and food for demonic beliefs are gone, when the rubbish is cleared up, we can clinically work at removing the rats. When they have no right to be there, they can be evicted quickly. An effective prayer can be utilized by a trusted minister to declare forgiveness and invite life, or, where necessary, command any demonic interference to stop and not return. For this to be effective, the person being prayed for must first have dedicated themselves to God and to the belief and application of the true knowledge of Him as found in Christ. This process may also need to be worked out over a period of time. Mentally and even physiologically, our thoughts carve deep channels in our minds, which remain as the default way of thinking. We need to exercise our power to choose and know what it is we are choosing to believe. We take every thought captive to Christ, free in the knowledge that even though the outworking and application of freedom is a pathway to be followed, it is part of our inheritance and we are permitted and expected to obtain it. It may seem daunting at first, but begin the journey. Search for and discover the deceptions that may lie beneath about who you are and who God is. God will bring light and life to you. He gives you everything you need to go against what is, in the end, a very inferior enemy and plunder his legal fortress. Ask God, what lies am I believing about myself and what lies am I believing about you? As it says in Psalm 18 verses 28 and 29, You, O Lord, keep my lamp burning. My God turns my darkness into light. With your help, I can advance against a troop. With my God, I can scale a wall. Your journal. Pray and ask God what lies you are believing about Him. 
about his love or his grace, truth, compassion, his power, and so on. Pray and ask God what lies you're believing about yourself, about your worth, your identity, and so on. Thank you.